Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. When is God going to speak? When is God going to act? What is God going to do about these chaotic and tumultuous times in which we find ourselves? If we're honest, many of us feel these questions bubbling up within us in different forms today. In a simpler form, I think we could say this. We all yearn for God to speak. We want God to weigh in. We want God to give his assessment of things. We have the word of God, and we, we treasure that. We cling to it as believers, as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is also this lingering sense for us of wanting divine speech, divine assessment, and yes, to use this term, divine judgment on what is playing out around you and around me. And yet, if we think back through our own lives and if we think about Scripture and the experience of the followers of God in the Old and New Testament, we will recognize that in a good number of situations, God chooses not to speak directly to our lived experience. That's not to say he never does for biblical characters. In some biblical stories, God does uh, give his assessment of what is going on, and God does intervene or act on the spot. You could come up with numerous examples of how that is true throughout Scripture. But there is a second category of experiences in Scripture where God does not immediately intervene and does not immediately weigh in, and people, frankly, do not know what he thinks or what he's planning or what he's going to do. And they are left in this kind of position of confusion from a natural sense. There is no sense in which God is wrong to leave them in this place, but the experience of the people of God throughout biblical history, even into the current day, post-biblical history, is one of wondering what God is going to do, how God is going to respond. If you wanted a banner over this entire little exploration of a theme, you could say, how do we deal with the silence of God, the seeming silence of God? This is not a podcast that is going to deal with a hot-button cultural issue on this particular episode. We've been engaging numerous matters in the last several weeks on City of God. This is a podcast in which we zoom out and we say, okay, there's a lot happening. There's a lot coming at us as Christians right now in this context. How are we supposed to think when we don't have a ready-made assessment uh, of the situation at hand? When we are waiting on God and, and we want God to give his assessment, we're not struggling with, with him giving it. It's just that we're waiting for it and we don't have it yet. How are we supposed to think about that? I want to do uh, a short episode in this instance on the silence of God. And I want you to understand four truths that I want to bring to the table about the silence of God, the seeming silence of God, that is. First, we should understand that it is true that God's word is not silent now. God still speaks, but God is not speaking in the way that humanity expects or wants him to speak. Again, there are two dimensions to this. There's a dimension in which it is right 
to want God to weigh in on our current situation. There is a second dimension in which we impatiently, in our sin, want him to weigh in, but it's not in a righteous sense. It's that we're impatient with him. It's that we're frustrated with God. It's that he really owes us his assessment of what is transpiring, and he's not giving it to us. So we can acknowledge as believers that it is right to want God's perspective, and yet we also can acknowledge that we frequently slip into a sinful expectation of him weighing in, and we do not approach that in a righteous way. But we have to, we have to constantly bring to our mind and our attention this truth. God's word speaks now. The Bible is God's authoritative word on all of human existence, all of human history, all the human future, and every human situation we encounter. The word of God is not silent. God is not silent. It can feel that way, and the natural man thinks God is silent, doesn't he? The natural man says, man, I'm not getting a direct daily update list from God, and so God must not be speaking. And what the Christian says in response, among other things, is that no, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible has everything we need from God to know God, and the Bible gives us all the truth we need to lead a godly life in Jesus Christ. Every precept, every principle, every theological truth, every doctrine is there. And it is there just as God would have it to be presented. And it is there in a completely trustworthy fashion. And you can shape and structure your life according to it. It is that foundational. It is that sufficient. It is that right. It is that true. It is that good. So God's word is speaking now to our specific lives. We, we never want to make the mistake that is made, for example, in the book Jesus Calling. And it's more than just a mistake. It is a falsehood that we need a more personal Word of God than the Word of God, capital W. No, the Word we need from God is the Bible. The Bible is sufficient for our lives. God's truth is speaking into our lives. We must always remember this firstly. We must know, of course, along the lines of this first truth, that the Spirit assists us to understand and apply the Word of God. The Spirit also illumines the Word of God to us in a John 16 sense. And so the Holy Spirit operates according to the Word of God. The Spirit does not go outside of the Word of God. The Spirit does not teach us anything that is contrary to the Word of God. So God uses the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all biblical truth. And there is, furthermore, a sense of guidance for Christians who are following the Word of God, that the Spirit ministers. The Spirit, throughout the book of Acts, for example, in a few different places, intervenes in the life in the lives of the early church and helps them understand the way that God would have them to go. And God's Spirit, I believe, still works in that way today in a, in a hard-to-fully-define fashion. And yet, all of this is according to the Word of God and the Spirit who ministers the Word of God to us. In all of this, then, we should confess fully and freely that God's Word is speaking. 
not because we are editing the Word of God or adding to it or subtracting from it, not because we need extra revelation from God that we have not received, as if God is parsimonious and is doling out extra bits of revelation as time goes on. No, we have the finished revelation of God and the Spirit who brings us into the knowledge and experience of all that truth. But then secondly, we need to say this. In a situational sense, God often chooses silence. What do I mean? I mean that we often, as Christians, do not know his specific will for our lives or his assessment of our present condition. God often chooses to let us stew where we are, for good, bad, or otherwise. God often chooses silence. Now, here's where we're really getting to the crux of the matter. When God, in a situational sense, not a, not a bibliological sense, chooses silence, we can feel like the silence of God is the inactivity of God. Is God not doing something? Is God not storing up the final verdict on the situation, but is instead God sleeping, God asleep at the wheel of history? But that is not true. Please hear me very clearly at this point in this humble little podcast. The silence of God must not be equated with the inactivity of God. The silence of God is often that which signals that God is working to accomplish his purposes in means that we cannot possibly fathom. The silence of God, you could turn it around then, is often that which hides the activity of God. God is active, and yet... In his infinite freedom, God is not choosing to disclose what he is doing or how he assesses our current predicament. I don't think any biblical book teaches this more powerfully than the book of Job. I recently read the book of Job and my devotions took me, took me a few days, not, not a few days, And as I was reading the book of Job, I was freshly struck by the reality of the silence of God because, as you will know, I'm guessing a good number of you, for most of the book, God is completely silent in terms of his actual speech. There is a ton of verbiage that comes from Job and his human Uh, friends and would-be counselors. I don't even know exactly what to call them here. (laughs) They style themselves as counselors, and yet they they are bringing anything but good counsel, as the end of the book makes clear. So most of the book of Job is human speech. Very, very, very little of it, outside of Job 38 through 41, is divine speech. There are three, four chapters where the Lord does speak and speaks in no uncertain terms. So let that be said. But the book is structured so as to emphasize the speech of man, which is not wise as God's speech is, and to show us the silence of God by contrast. 
Yet it is not in any way appropriate to conclude that in those first 37 chapters of the book of Job, God is inactive. God is not up to something. And God has no opinion, divine assessment, that is, of what is transpiring in the book of Job. In Job chapter 42, after the Lord has effectively dressed Job down by pointing out in numerous ways that Job is not the creator nor the sovereign ruler of the universe, the doctrine of creation is so important in those chapters, which should get our attention in a major way. Then Job answers the Lord in Job 42, 1 through 6, and (laughs) says basically the most uh, humble, humiliated, abject words a human person can say. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job 42.2 and then 42 verse 6. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Why is Job saying this? Because the Lord has weighed in and has exposed the reality that no human person is at his level. But it is not just that no one uh, is ultimately at his level, but many come close. It is that no one is within a hundred thousand miles of God. No one is remotely close to his wisdom. No one has the mind of the creator. Every human being is a created being. Owing to Cornelius Van Til, this is what we call the creator-creature distinction. No one on this planet is the creator, and no one is close to being the creator. It's not that we missed being the creator by just a few degrees or a few minutes or a a few uh, metric uh, measurements of power. It is that we are totally unlike God. We totally fail to be the creator. It is an impossibility in the strongest sense of us ever being on the rank of the creator. So that is what Job comes to understand. And then in verse 7 through 9, the Lord speaks to Job's, air quotes, friends. And the Lord condemns the unsound words of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. These men who had so much to say throughout the book of Job. But this is what God says to them. Despite all their many words that were supposedly wise and supposedly rebuking Job righteously, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, the Lord says to Eliphaz, Job 42, 7, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. This then tells us the clue to divine silence. This is palpably important. This is like a flash of lightning. We are so confused because of our sin and because of our creatureliness about the mind and counsel of God. And one of those areas of confusion is the silence of God. But here, God lets us see something absolutely vital. All the while that these men were speaking against Job, God 
was not failing to assess the situation. It might have felt that way to Job. I'm guessing it did. It might have looked that way. It was not that way. God's anger was mounting against these ungodly counselors. God was storing up anger to then express in a terrifying moment in Job 42, 7 to 9. He expressed this personally. He said these words recorded historically in the book of Job in Job chapter 42. What does this tell us, friends? This tells us that though God often chooses silence, he is not failing to comprehend the situation. This leads to our third truth. The silence of God is not the inactivity of God. The silence of God often masks or hides or veils the very strong activity of God. You and I can't see it. You and I can't hear God's on-the-spot contextual assessment as creaturely beings, even as Christians. There are times, of course, when, when we have those promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit, so I want to leave room for that. But in terms of a divine speech from God that lets us know what God thought about last week or last month or last year or all our lives even, we don't have that assessment yet. We will have that assessment. More on that in just a moment. But we must not therefore mistake the seeming silence of God with the inactivity of God. God has an assessment of us now. God has thoughts on how we are living and what we are doing and what others are saying and doing to us. God is not asleep. We often most encounter this challenge when we look at the culture and society around us. And when you look at the Psalms, you recognize that this is so often why various voices in the Psalms uh, raise up a cry to God. Where are you, O God? What is happening? Why am I in these conditions? These and other questions like them. God's silence seems to be loudest, irony alert, when you look at a fallen world in all its chaos around you. But you must not mistake the silence of God for the inactivity of God. Applying this to 2021, you should not think that God is asleep at the wheel right now. You should not think that evildoers will escape the judgment of God. You should not think that God will fail to put all things back together through the person of his son at the end of the age. You should not think that God is lacking an assessment of the people, the rulers, the kings, the authorities, the neighbors around you. God does not lack such an assessment. God is building his assessment. In fact, God knows his assessment from before the foundation of the earth. The silence of God is not the inactivity of God. That's what our heart feels. That's what it feels like. We want God to speak, but as the book of Job shows us, God will surely speak. God will surely assess. God will surely judge. God will bring all things, not just to their climax, but to perfect resolution 
at the end of the age in and through his son. He is not going to fail to keep his terms. God is not going to fail to hold up his end of the bargain. God is not going to fail you. Whatever chaos, confusion, difficulty, trial, challenge, conflict you are in right now, because of righteousness' sake, do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16, do not lose heart. Do not mistake the silence of God for the inactivity of God. Because fourthly, the silence of God points ahead. It's an eschatological silence, isn't it? It points ahead to the rewards and judgments of God on the last day. You see, all of history is heading to the last day. All the days that we are living, they're not just 24-hour days that we go through and then they're gone. They're all being stored up in a sense. They're all being accounted. They're all being assessed by God. Praise God. All who are in Christ are not having their life assessed on the basis of their own life only, but on the life of Jesus Christ, on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the passive and active righteousness of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, and the death of Jesus Christ, meaning that we are not only as Christians not guilty through Christ, but we are innocent through Christ. Now, as Christians, that doesn't cancel out our day-to-day life mattering to God. No, instead, we are to live for God's glory, and those who are faithful to God will store up rewards and treasures in heaven. And when we disobey God and dishonor God, we grieve God. So our day-to-day life matters tremendously. But praise God, God is watching us live out all these days according to his all-wise decree before the foundation of the earth, and he is seeing us in Christ. What a miracle this is. The cross of Christ has purchased our salvation, and now we who are in Christ are living out our salvation. All of this coming into, a, coming into play through justification by faith alone, given us through the gift of God, through the Spirit of God. And so we are living as Christians, as people who are now justified. And our current justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, is pointing us ahead to the last day. The fact that we are justified in Christ now, through faith in Christ, points ahead to the last day when we will finally and ultimately be vindicated before God, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. But the silence of God also points ahead, not encouragingly, but terrifyingly for the unbeliever who is altogether unlike us, altogether unlike the church, altogether unlike you as a believer. The unbeliever is not worse than you naturally. You were in the same condition as the unbeliever before your salvation, before your conversion. No, the unbeliever is in the same place you were in before God saved you. And when God sees the unbeliever around you, 
your friends, your, your family members, your neighbors, your peers. God does not see them in Jesus Christ because they are not currently in Jesus Christ. They do not have union with Jesus Christ. And if they do not repent, their current state is telling the final story of their fate, their ultimate fate. They are under God's condemnation now, and they will finally and fully be condemned on the last day. It may look then like God is silent with regard to their evil, their unbelief, their wickedness, however that is playing out, but God is not silent toward it, truly. It is just that they are not hearing the verdict of God now. But God's verdict for both the righteous and the unrighteous is building. It's picking up steam. Our days are not lived as mere 24-hour experiences that then vanish. All the living of our days matters. Every second counts. Our lives are hurtling to eternity. And specifically, we are all on a bullet train to the last day, to the great white throne of judgment. Friends, get ready for that day. Get ready now while there's time. If you're not a Christian, today is the day of salvation. The silence of God is not the inactivity of God. It is not the sleepiness of God. Just like in the book of Job, God may not be speaking directly to you now weighing in on your current situation, but God is not without an assessment of it. Now is the time when you can find Jesus Christ. Now is the time when you, your loved ones, your friends, your peers, can hear of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross that washes away all our sins, his resurrection from the grave that allows our resurrection on the last day. Now is the time to repent of all those sins and turn from them and get ready for eternity. God is not silent as it seems he is silent. And mankind does not read the silence of God rightly. We do read the silence of God as if he has no thoughts on the matter and as if he has no ultimate verdict on our lives. But as I have said in this episode, that is not the case. The book of Job shows us it's not the case because at the end of this book, this Old Testament book, God weighs in. God speaks and he specifically addresses the different individuals in the historical account of the book of Job. He holds them to account. He does not let the guilty go free, even as he shows favor on Job, the undeserving one, and his household. There are other times in Scripture we could point to to explore the silence of God. As we conclude today, let me just think of one other example, this one in the New Testament, when as Jesus is dying on the cross, he cries out to heaven. It's the cry of forsakenness in Matthew 27, and there is no answer from heaven. There is no assurance. There is no confirmation of love 
There is no sending of legions of angels to help the Son of God as he dies on the cross for our sins. What a marvelous example of the reality that the silence of God, the Father, does not mean that the Father is asleep or is indifferent. It is anything but. It is that the Father has sent his Son in love to the cross to die for our sins and to be the one who bears his, the Father's, just wrath on our behalf. The Son is drinking the cup of the Father's wrath at Calvary in order that we would not have to. And the Son, in crying out to the Father, does not hear any assurance of fatherly love precisely because he is legally guilty for us, precisely because he is drinking wrath for us. What a second marvelous illustration of the biblical fact, the truth, that the seeming silence of God is not the inactivity of God. It is because the Father is pouring out his wrath on the Son in our place that we can then hear, well done, good and faithful servant, at the end of our lives. So there is even this enigmatic period of silence between the Father and the Son, who in all eternity past had perfect communion with one another, and who in the incarnational period, right up to the cross, have continued communion, fellowship, and love, and who following the resurrection have resumed communion and fellowship, but who in that time, that unique time when the Son is dying for us and then actually expires on the cross for three days, do not have that fellowship that they have had and will have and even now have. So there again, we learn about the silence of God. It can look like the silence of God is inactivity or is injustice or something like this, but it is the reverse. It is often when God seems most silent that he is preparing something potent in the world he has made. And to extend the point, it is often when he seems most silent that he is readying something wonderful for his people, something beyond what the human mind, even the redeemed mind, can conceive. So take heart in remembering this truth if it seems like God is silent to you today. And remember, if you are hearing this as one who is not a Christian, if you have not bowed the knee to King Jesus, and if you are a believer and you're hearing this and you have occasion to talk to unbelievers who, who raise the matter of God's speech and, and God's will and, and, and why God isn't directing their life as they want him to, point them to this reality of the silence of God with regard to judgment because it is not the case that just because God is not speaking directly in a moment-by-moment -moment sense into their experience, that he is inactive. God is storing up judgment for the wicked. 
we should all confess what Job says in Job 42, verse 5 and 6. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It may seem like God is silent now, but very soon take heart. He will not be silent. On that day, we will see him, and we will be glad, glad beyond belief or reckoning, that by God's grace, we repented in dust and ashes. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.